World War II, above Germany in the freezing air of December. A B-17 flying fortress is lagging behind the main formation after a bombing run. The plane is limping on two and a half engines, after already being attacked by ground flak cannons and a squadron of German fighters. A lone German fighter stalks the damaged bomber, like a lion hunting a wounded antelope. What happens next? Find out in this week's episode of Cheeky Tales. That's called foreboding. Welcome to this fortnight's Cheeky Tales. Uh, Welcome back, boys. (laughs) This episode, I'm your tale teller. John? Sean loved that. Don't love tale teller. (laughs) (laughs) And with me, open ears and jokes are ready, my boy. Um, Don't put the pressure of jokes are ready on me. Yeah, I know. Pressure's on. As we know, I'm not prepared funny. And this is episode 69, boy. We've done it. Nice. We've been waiting nice. 68 episodes. We've gotten for this to the day. joke, so can we finish the podcast now? <laughs> We've gotten to it. If you think it's over, it's only just beginning. Yeah. Now we've got, I to, do, we've got to stretch this joke from end to end. Episode 6,969 is going to be lit. <laughs> we'll do that episode naked, shall we? Six, <laughs> what episode was it? 6,969. Yeah, Look not? forward to that one. Yeah, sometimes you just got to spin the other way and just see what happens. <laughs> um, I do have some notes here for, <laughs> for banter. Notes for banter? I do. Oh, do you want to pass oh. us the banter script? No, no. The first note I got here is speak about Sean's absence. Hmm? Yeah. Sean's not absent. It's kind of funny that Sean's uh, not here, isn't it? Yeah. wonder why that is. Why Why would you have not been here, Sean? Why was I oh, thinking that I you just had a baby. Yay, congratulations. A little baby. Mm. To Rachel, who's also not listening or watching, but congratulations. Little Thank you very much. And congratulations, Daddy Sean. Trying to think of a- Sean hates the term daddy. I hate the term daddy (laughs) so much. I'm going to teach his child to call him daddy. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's not going to happen. Daddy, may I have some more? Her name is Chiquilia. (laughs) Chiquilia Talia. I almost just spat my drink all over my laptop. That would have been an opening. Mm -hmm. It's Latin for cheeky tales, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, Sean. Thank you. Congratulations again. Also- is Bree still in the house? She's outside. Oh, I wanted to do an Adam Sandler update. Yeah. We got a new movie coming out, don't we? We do? Yeah, he's got that. He's doing a serious movie. Oh, not again. I thought that was already. Is no, that not out yet? It's not out yet. I oh, think it's coming no. on Apple TV. I actually wanted to speak about Adam Sandler's beginnings. Oh, is this because you heard that on that new podcast we're listening to? Yeah, I, I noticed, I've been listening to that and I've noticed how much of your chat has just been directly lifted from that podcast. I, no, well, I just thought it was very interesting. Mm. Um, um, yes, Adam Sandler's next movie. It's called Spaceman. What was Adam Sandler's first movie, Sean? Oh, it's first, jeez. Well, I don't think it was his first movie, but- I don't think so. It would have been his breakout movie. Well- Should I just say it? Waterboy. Yeah, no, Waterboy. no, no. His- his probably breakout movie would be Billy Madison. Um, was that before? What Billy was Madison it? was his first one. It was before Happy Gilmore. There you go. So he had uh, Going Overboard, Shakes the Clown, Coneheads, which wasn't very good. And he wasn't a main sort of role in it anyway. 
Airheads, which he was in as sort of a, as an ensemble cast, because that had Brandon Fraser and Steve Buscemi in it. Mixed Nuts, which is Bashimi? a- Yeah. Oh, Bashimi, whatever. <laughs> Bashimi? Bashimi? Steve, Steve Wasabi. Ooh, this, yeah. <laughs> someone's coming up with a plan in the room. Who's it? I think it's mm. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> 90, 95, Billy Madison. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. I heard Where was Waterboy in that? Hey, Waterboy is uh, three years later, man. Oh. Well, as Aaron said, um, I, I heard this on another podcast, and it's an interesting theory that Adam Sandler owes his fame to Star Wars. Have you heard that, Sean? Stairway. Why does he owe his fame to Star Wars? Right. Stairway. So, obviously, the original trilogy came out in the late 70s, early 80s. We're not going to discuss it again. We're just going to mention that it exists. Every time the Star Wars trilogy comes up, Sean and I get into an argument. Oh, okay. So that came out in the late 70s, early 80s. Correct. And then there was no Star Wars until yes. Phantom Menace. Correct. Which was- 1999. Correct. The trailer for Phantom Menace- Yes. Was played before Waterboy. So the theory is that a lot of the Waterboy's ticket sales were Star Wars fans going just to watch the trailer and then leaving the movie. And so- Adam Sandler become a huge name out of Waterboy, a bankable actor, as you might say, because of the Star Wars fans just going to watch the trailer over my, and over again. My immediate and um, extremely educated rebuttal to that is before Waterboy came out, so had The Wedding Singer, Happy Gilmore, and Billy Madison. The Wedding Singer was before that? Yes. So three wow. huge movies, very quotable, and it had all come out before mm. Waterboy had come out. Well, there are- um, statistics. You know, he was a, he was a massive star beforehand. Yeah, he owes his yeah. career to Star. He owes Wars, his career you know? to Star Wars. Okay. Happy Gilmore. <laughs> but there was are statistics. Huge. There are statistics saying that the Waterboys ticketing sales were pumped up by Star Wars fans. Okay, and that's going to sound weird in this day and age. But you got to remember, this is before like proper streaming online, and you had oh, to have you, quick yeah, you time couldn't watch to look the, it. You couldn't watch the. You couldn't watch any trailers. The trailer. Yeah. yeah, you only got it at the cinemas, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, no, you can you couldn't possibly stand on that. Okay, for no, it's like, not even half a leg. It's not even a chopstick. Again, I said it was a theory. Not it was just something chopstick. to to speak about. And yeah, and what about the yeah, other? Billy Madison is debut film made twenty six and a half million dollars worldwide and debuted at number one at the box office. Fair enough. <laughs> and what about um, rebuttal? You know what didn't come out of nowhere? Mm. World War Two. Correct. That is an A-grade segue that you can expect from this podcast. <laughs> this not at all predictable history podcast about World War Two and boats, or both. Boats during <laughs> World War Two. Mm, yes. It, it is. Well- And medleys. There was Just quickly, a, there, I have the most Cheeky Tales episode in development right now. Really? I've pivoted because we realized what date our next episode comes out on, but- yeah. The next episode after that that I do is the most Cheeky Tales episode. And after that, probably be ready for my debut of Ball Sports season it is episode. The episode after- No, the episode after the, um, the next one. The Valentine's Day special. Get your honey and watch it together. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then, then Ball Sports- Ball Sports season. Then it's time starting. for the kickies. Time for- I did message Aaron during the week, like, thinking again you were not going to be here. This- I'm thinking about doing this. Should I do it while Sean's present or not while Sean's present? Mm. And he said, wait until you were present. Okay. But I already started this other topic. That's okay. Which is a World War II boat story. So, oh God. Boats, boats, boats. 
Might keep it for hey, Bovember, eh? Bree's making her first appearance. I will say this. Yeah, if it's a World War II boats one. Mm. <laughs> just, she's frozen. Just, keep it keep, keep it or cut it because this is like- Deer in headlights. Bree's walking. showed up in the podcast and it's going to get cut. <laughs> <laughs> that one has to stay in if she's in. I don't think she'll be in that angle. Oh, All right. Well, in saying that, this episode is inspired by something that actually comes out today. Cool. Yeah. Uh, a TV show that, uh, when I say comes out today, I mean on recording, So, which would be Friday the 26th. Um, and it's from the producers who made Band of Brothers in the Pacific, mm-hmm. Masters of the Air, on Apple TV. I know you're going to poo-poo Apple TV, and I was with you all I'm- the way. Until the most recent time I got it, because my favourite show is on Apple TV. So for two months a year, I have to just suck up my pride and pay Apple some money. But no. I've been watching a few shows on it. It's good stuff. I'm not knocking the fact that Apple TV is going to have good stuff on it. I'm mm. just sick of there being another damn streaming oh, service. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're back to like we're back free to, cable days. Like I'm paying the same amount as I'd mm-hmm. be paying for Foxtel. Like mm-hmm. I'm currently paying for Paramount Plus because I really want to watch the reboot of Frasier. Mm-hmm. Because oh. it's great. It's okay. It's it's good. It's nice. It's I'll be paying for Paramount Plus very soon because Halo Season Two is coming out. Anyway, World War Two. Anyway, and World Bites. War Two and both. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> punch my microphone. There he goes again. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Apple TV isn't a sponsor. But they should be, but they could be. You know, we've said a lot of great things about Apple TV. <laughs> we've said lots of things. They could be a sponsor, and they would get awesome shoutouts like the one they're getting right now for so. free. Shrinking with Jason Siegel. Any sponsor. This is the quality of- My favourite show is For All Mankind on Apple TV+. Plus. Is that what it is? Because you haven't actually told me what it was. I love For All Mankind. What's it about? It is, imagine if the Soviets landed on the moon first. Uh, Mm. uh, That does sound interesting. We're now at half an hour and haven't got to it yet. It's 20 minutes since we started recording. Masters of the Air um, on Apple TV- it's a World War II show, show following the airmen of the 100th Bomb Group. Sounds good. And I love Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. Such an excellent show. I probably do a full watch through of that series probably once every two years. And that could also be a future episode, The Exploits of Easy Company of the 506. Pretty incredible what they went through. But as we digress, our story is above Germany and the city of Bremen. Um, Bremen is located about 60 kilometers north, northwest, northwest of Berlin. Uh, and Bremen was a target because of its military production, which included Atlas Work, a shipbuilding company, Bremen Vulcan Shipyard, De Schimag Shipyard, Fock Wolf. Nothing funny about that. Aircraft factory, Korf AG oil refinery, and Nordestute Hut AG Steel Mill. I'm sure that's all perfectly pronounced. It's too. probably not. <laughs> and one last thing, the Valentine submarine pen. So okay. there's, uh, and that was a shelter for building U-boats. So there's quite a few assets for the German war mark. Initially in 1940, the Royal Air Force, or the RAF, conducted raids targeting just these industrial assets. However, this effort proved costly and as navigation and target location information was difficult to come by, the bombings were impractical and ineffective. In 1942, the bombing strategy changed to nighttime area bombing. 
What were you? What were you going to say? Change from what dropping bombs to? No, I almost dro- sneezed, oh, and okay. I was fighting so hard there not to. <laughs> it sounded like a scoff. No, it no. was just I was about to sneeze. <laughs> like, so yeah, it changed from the strategic bombing, like targeted bombing, to area bombing. Pretty much, they would just send out a bunch of bombers over the area and carpet bomb it. Mm. America. Uh, I know it's not America doing it, but uh, it was. It was America and England. America! This would weaken the area's air defences, and in 1943, the targeted day bombings would return. Um, In searching this up, I did do a little bit of looking into other- Research? Yes. Into other uh, bombings during World War II, and Cologne seemed to have copped the heaviest- Bombing. Bombing in, um, like, Europe. And it was something like over a 1,000 bombers were sent and it was like a six 600-acre area of the city that was destroyed. Mm. And I saw, saw a picture of it. The town is, well, the city is just absolutely It is wild how destroyed. much of Europe just got wrecked. Yeah. And then you look at a current-day photo of Cologne and you wouldn't know. But, like, it was, mm. like, just frames of buildings left and... I believe they rebuilt it pretty much how it was because there's mm. like a predominant cathedral with a bridge and it looks exactly the same. Like It's just crazy. Um, however, Bremen, its heaviest air raid of the entire war, happened on the night of August 18th, 19th, 1944, where in just 34 minutes, 274 aircraft dropped 1,120 tonnes of bomb over the densely built-up western area of the city. Killing 1, That's 000, a lot of bomb. Killing 1,060 people and destroying 8,200 residential buildings. So almost every ton of bomb killed someone. Correct. Hmm. Which doesn't seem very efficient, but... Well, I mean, it's carpet bombing, right? Like, yeah. you're bombing everything. Do we want to describe what carpet bombing is as opposed to... Go ahead. You yeah. can do that while I have a drink. So targeted bombing is you're going after a specific target. So you're actually aiming for something like, I want to hit that railway. I want to hit that bridge. Carpet bombing is like, we're going to drop bombs over this entire swath of the city and that's okay. And so they just blow everything up within a region. Yep. The last air raid that hit the city was on April 22nd, 1945. And after that, the British 3rd Infantry entered the city in late April 1945. So in about... Five years, the Allies carried out 173 air raids, dropping five and a half thousand tons of explosives, killing more than 4,000 residents, and as well as the city centre, almost 65,000 houses or apartments were destroyed. Wow. Which worked out to be about 62% of the city's residential accommodation. That, can you just imagine if over like the course of a few weeks, 65% of houses were gone. Five years, yeah. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's still a lot. Mm. So yeah, Crazy. There was, there was a lot of people uh, left without homes. Where did they all go? I don't know if neighbouring towns were able to take them or massive yeah, they must shelters. Have, right? Or you just crammed in with people who had the houses still standing. I don't mm. know. Again, this is like one of the impacts of war you don't really think about. You think about the people fighting on the front lines. But yeah. these are, these people just lived in an industrial city and mm. they were displaced like this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Yeah. You, like 
People just lived there. Yeah. It, it wasn't just, yeah, it is wild to think about that. So one of these raids, one of the 173, happened on December 20, 1943, and it saw 546 heavy bombers made up of B-17 flying fortresses and B-24 liberators attack the city. The B-17 is the bomber we're talking about. It is a four-engined heavy bomber. Okay. If you think, or if you imagine, if, picture yourself looking at a photo of a bomber. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would imagine a four-engine bomber from World War II, this is probably the plane you yeah, think of. like that kind of cigar-shaped body. Yep. Yeah. It was manufactured by Boeing. Boeing? Well, again, who haven't exactly had the greatest time in the last couple of months. After years, mate. Years, yeah. Uh, Max 8 have been having some problems. Yeah. Uh, and its first flight was in 1935, and it was introduced into service in 1938, with the last plane retired in 1968 by the Brazilian Air Force. Wow. That's a long career for a bomber, right? Mm. I guess the B-52 is still going, mm. and it was around in World War Two. No. Was it? No, it was afterwards, yeah. I think it was like Vietnam. The B-52 Stratofortress, an American long-range subsonic jet-powered strategic bomber, was designed and built by Boeing, which has continued to provide support and upgrades, operated by the US Air Force since the 1950s. The bomber can carry up to 70,000 pounds or 32,000 kilograms in the Queen's English of weapons and has a typical combat range of around uh, 8,800 miles or 14,200 kilometres, once again in normal people uh, units of measurement, (laughs) um, without any aerial or air-to-air refueling. Beginning with a successful contract bid in 1946, the B-52's design evolved from a straight-wing aircraft powered by six turboprop engines, that's propeller engines, um, to the final prototype YB-52 with eight turbojet engines and swept-back wings. It took its, maiden, f- took its maiden flight in 1952. I feel like the B-52 replaced the B-17 yeah. as the standard heavy bomber. Long, yeah, long range I think there bomber. was a couple in the middle, but the B-52 is a plane that you think of when you think of a bomber. Yeah. You know that at one point during the Cold War, at all times, there were multiple B-52s flying around the Arctic Circle? It was like more than a year at all times. Just ready to- always flying. Perform an attack. Yeah. Yeah. But did they have nukes on board? Mm. Yeah. So Scary. many stories of B-52s crashing and they're like- there's a, there's a nuke missing. Oh, jeez. But where is it? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, overall. Uh, what I was reading about, though, which is quite funny, is the unofficial nickname for the Strata Fortress, uh, which no one uses. They call it the Buff, um, which is an acronym, which stands for- uh, Big, get your ugly. Big, ugly, fat- f- <laughs> Or fella. <laughs> Big yeah, ugly you could have said that so fella. I don't have to bleep. BF- yeah, but that wasn't in. It's it's in order of how it was written. BFG, BFG, big ganglion. Oh. <laughs> so overall, cut it, please. <laughs> you just like. Uh. <laughs> I think yeah. I found the thumbnail. <laughs> no, yeah, no, thank you. Cheeky overall. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, there were 12,731 B-17s produced between 1936 and 1945. Okay. That's a lot of planes. <laughs> it, some of the scale of how they built stuff during the World Wars is in, it, uncomprehensible mm. today. Yeah. Some quick stats on the aircraft. Quick stats. 
A Quick length, stats. Length of 22.6 metres, wingspan of 31.6 metres, and a height of 5.8 metres. Wow. Empty, the aircraft would weigh 16,400 kilos and with a max takeoff weight of 29,700 kilos. They were powered by four Wright Cyclone turbocharged radial engines, which would generate 12,000 horsepowers each, and with each engine having a three-blade prop. Okay. So 12,000 ra- horsepower. Each. Sheesh. Uh, so radial means the cylinders operate in a circular motion, mm-hmm. much like a RX-7. Where a regular car, well, no, that's a rotor. That's a rotor. Yeah, they, they operate a, in a circular motion, don't they? Not, yeah, but it's no, a rotor. It's a rotary. It's not a, a radial engine. Is like a, a regular engine's a V, right? Or oh, a is boxer. that just the pistons are in a circle? The pistons, yeah, the pistons are, are in a circle. circle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's the pistons a, are in a circle. Looks like how a, many cylinders was it? It didn't say. Oh, it's usually oh the B17's engines. Sorry, sorry. By the way, the B52 uh, replaced the B36 Peacemaker, which um, I believe was the one Peacemaker. that. Yes, which uh, was the plane that replaced the B-17. Um, the joke was going to be it's an O-12 or whatever instead of a V-12. Yeah. So we can B-17's engine. Cyclone. Right, Cyclone. I did have the actual model number, but I thought that was too boring. Uh, they had a max speed of 462 kilometers an hour and a cruising speed of 293 kilometers an hour. Uh, that's a quick boy. The operational range with a load of 2,700 kilograms of bombs was 3,200 kilometres and a max range of 6,000 kilometres. They could also operate to a maximum ceiling of 35,000 feet. Or 10,850 metres. Correct. In humans. Yeah, but nobody does plane height flying in metres. And that's why I kept it in feet. International standard is feet, which is dumb. Sorry, Sean. I know. I agree with you, Sean. It's... I also agree with Aaron when you're talking height. Yeah, when you're talking planes, feet. It's feet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, guns. Got them right here, baby. Not these ones. It consisted <laughs> of 13 50 inch caliber M2 Browning machine guns. 13, 1 3, not 3 0. Uh, in nine different positions. Is the B 17 the one that had the gunner's nest underneath yes. where yep. they were like hanging yep. in that yep. super weird position? Yep, we've, yeah. we've, we've discussed it before. Mm hmm. So it had two in the chin turret, the front of the plane, one in each cheek turret, and two in the midsection or waist turrets, two guns in the top ball turret, two in the belly ball turret, and two in the tail. Nothing funny about that. Okay. And the last machine gun was in the um, like radio compartment behind the bomb bay doors firing up, so like. Right. I guess it's like in the middle of the plane firing up yeah. through the top. As for bombs, short-range missions, it could carry 3,600 kilograms of bombs and long-range would carry 2,000 kilos of bombs. And for crew, there would be 10 on board. So we're going to have a look at the crew of Ye Old Pub, which is the name of the bomber in this story, and we'll go over their positions. Their nicknames or call signs are in the middle, just to be clear that this is not their middle name. So the pilot was 2nd Lieutenant Charles Charlie Brown. Okay. Co-pilot was 2nd Lieutenant Spencer Pinky Luke. 
They really stretched for that. They really, really worked hard for Charles Brownlee. There's what do we call this bloke? Charlie. They're not. Oh yes, good, good idea. (laughs) Brilliant nickname. They don't really stretch any of these nicknames. Navigator was Albert Doc Saddock. Radio operator and bombardier, second lieutenant Andy Andrews. Uh, Sorry, second lieutenant Robert Andy Andrews. Okay. Top. Turret gunner and flight engineer was Sergeant Bertrand Frenchy Cologne. I mean, that one, all right. They've well, at least gone past, what's his name but shorter? Well, he's French. Yeah, I know, I but like they've gone past what's his okay. name but shorter. Instead of calling him Colon, yeah. they called him Frenchy. Radio operator was Sergeant Richard Dick Perchout. Mm-hmm. Tail gunner was Sergeant Hugh Ecky Eckenrode. Come on, man. Left waist gunner, Sergeant Lloyd Jennings. Apparently didn't have a nickname. Right waist gunner, Sergeant Alex Russian Ilinskano. Yelisanko. Yelisanko, thank you. It's okay. And the ball turret gunner was Samuel Blackie Blackford. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, it's because his name was Black. Uh, good, good roundup, Savo. Still not great. <laughs> uh, so the mission ye old pub's crew was given was to target the Fokker Wolf 190 aircraft production facility and were assigned to fly in the Purple Heart Corner. They were assigned to fly in the purple heart corner. Of the formation? Of the formation. Of the formation, yeah. yeah. Which is a spot on the edge of the bomber formation and was considered dangerous as Germans would often target the edges rather than straight through the middle. Named after the award that American soldiers receive if they are wounded or injured in battle. There was a section of land, um, like a land fighting, which was also nicknamed Purple Heart Lane. Because mm-hmm. I guess how many wounded were. Uh, but three bombers had to turn back due to mechanical issues, so Brown was moved to the front of, of the formation. As we covered earlier, there was quite a bit to the town of Bremen, but it wasn't entirely defenceless. It was guarded by more than 250 flak guns, as well as, well as a squadron of Luftwaffe fighters. I have to say that Luftwaffe is like one of the best words. Oh, no, that's why I chucked it in. Yeah. <laughs> Great name. Um, did you it's end up clearly watching- Luftwaffe. It's clearly Luftwaffe. I, I believe it's pronounced Luftwaffe. That's Luftwaffe. very English-centric of you, Sean. Did you end up watching that video on the <laughs> flat cannons that I sent? I I was doing something else, yeah, so I loaded up and went, oh, this isn't two seconds. No, it's like, it was 12 it. minutes. I actually yeah. found it really interesting. So for people who don't know, the flak cannons are an anti-aircraft gun. There's heavy flak and uh, light flak. So the heavy flak are like your big artillery guns and they fire uh, timed shells. And they reckon um, the timing of each shell would be probably one second per 10,000 feet. So if a plane was flying at 20,000 feet, they'd set the timer on the shell for two seconds. And so it would fire off and then it'd get up. It would, it would travel two seconds and then explode in the air. Yes. Yeah. Um, the light flak... It's just like a, a gun that would shoot and the round would impact, would explode on impact. Mm. Um, if you've watched any war movies with planes, you would have seen flak. It's those black clouds that puff that go off next to the planes. Uh, it was quite effective in its job. And the video I sent you goes through like the different ways to use flak, where it's like leading the target and shooting constantly at it as it flies. Or with the battery of guns and a collection of gun- guns, they would fire at one spot. So then 
that would all explode at once around the plane and yeah. then like 30 seconds later another one mm. whereas the obviously the one before is continuous it's always going off and then when they couldn't predict where the planes were flying they would do what they called a barrage which they'd get all the all the cannons in the area to fire one section of the sky where they would think they were going to bomb so they you'd just have to fly through yeah this minefield in the air i guess hilariously and almost so start again frog in my throat Interestingly, the term flak or for an anti-aircraft gun is an English colloquialism that we've applied to all surface-to-air anti-aircraft guns. Um, however, it originally is a specific gun, which is the 8.8 centimeter flak 18, the flak 36, and then the flak 37, which is a contraction of the German word. This will be like flakken kachonka blanka, flugerverkanon, or fliegerbach. Flyverkanon. Flyverkanon. Yeah. Which What's your flyverkanon? Flugerverkanon. Taking down those bombers. What you doing, Flugen? Are you verkanon? Flugerverkanon. So they were the eighty-eight cannons. Yeah, the eight point eight centimeter, which were very effective. Yes. Also, ground artillery. Eight centimeter. Yeah, eighty-eight mil. So it's twice the size. It's twice the size. Oh, it's so. The Australian military and a lot of the British used um, 40 mil cannons and the bullet is about that long and about that round. Yeah. It's pretty fat. So About the size of a uh, salami. So an 88 millimeter would be only a fraction smaller than a light artillery cannon, which is 105 mil, which is about that round. Yeah. So, I mean, that's about the width of a salami, right? It's a fatty. Like you go down to your (laughs) deli. A fat and you get salami, like mate. A bit of salami. No, yeah, like the like a charcuterie board salami. Mate, yeah, about it's, that. It's about, a roll of- about one Yeti's I size. I say it's about one Yeti bottle. It's a roll of Devon. There you go. Thank you. It's a roll of Devon. Yeti, sponsor us. Actually, don't. Devon, sponsor us. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, the Germans- Han salami, sponsor us. The Germans not only used it for any aircraft, they were very effective with their artillery cannons as well, mm-hmm. which was the same cannon, if I believe. Uh, yeah. Modified. But like, it's the same basic idea. They yeah. used to drag them around and shoot them at things. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> the 10-minute <laughs> bomb run started at 27,000 feet and an outside temperature of negative 60 degrees. That's cold. Yeah, well, I believe it's winter mm. in Germany at this point and they're you know 27,000 feet in the air. That NFL game. Oh, yeah. That was negative 30 degrees with yeah. wind chill. That's cold. Very cold. That was the one where the coach's moustache froze. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the icicles hanging yeah. off his moustache. Still not the coldest game. I know, right? Crazy. Some crazy-ass wind chill minus 60 degree day, which was- Yeah. Yeah. And that's the last thing about the NFL we need to mention. <laughs> So I'm wearing a Cowboys jersey. <laughs> I'm still wearing ne- my Bucks pants. I'm worried about the next season now. <laughs> I'm wearing Brisbane Heat. Congratulations, guys. Well done. A yeah, Brisbane congrats. team can win something. Yes. Year of Brisbane. For those outside of Australia, uh, last season on the same weekend. Well, you would have we, heard it. We, we, did we talked about bit. it. Oh, we did. In, yeah. In two different episodes. Well, to remind you, there was like four Brisbane teams lost on the same weekend yes. in grand finals. Yes. Lost grand finals. Yes. Mm. It was nearly Brisbane's longest weekend, as I called it, because it conveniently was also yep. a long weekend. Mm. Moving on. So before Brown could release his load, 
No. John. John. <laughs> of bombs. What are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Two flak yeah, what's bursts. funny about that? Yeah. If you thought that was funny, explain it to us in the comments. <laughs> yes, and how it pertains to the number six nine. Why couldn't you get through that, boy? Well, that's I'm why just I, imagining our comments being full of like- That's why I chucked it in, Sean, episode 69. Yeah. Nice. Talk about loads in episode 16. Ex- ex- Exposed. <laughs> so before that could happen, two flak bursts shattered the pexiglass nose and knocked out engine two and damaged engine four, mm. which had to be throttled back- to stop it from overspeeding. This damage slowed down the old pub and it was unable to keep up with the formation and fell back as a straggler. Like sharks sensing blood in the water, the German fighters attacked the crippled bomber. Over a dozen fighters consisting of Messerschmitt's BF-109s and Focke-Wulf 109s hammered the plane. You get so many words wrong and you nailed Messerschmitt. Messerschmitt. On the first try. Um, so annoying. Sean... I, I grew up as watching a World War Two things. World War Two buff, and yes. I John grew up in World War Two, <laughs> and, and I made World War Two plane models. And, I also and did I had too. a Messerschmitt plane model, so that's how I, I know. Knew how but to, there's so many words. I know. And so uh, yeah, and they ha- causing a lot of damage to aircraft and crew. The number three engine was damaged, reducing it to half power. This actually left the B seventeen with only about forty percent of its total engine power. Eternal systems such as oxygen, hydraulic, electrical, and the radio were damaged, and the bomber lost half of its rudder on the port side elevator, as well as the nose cone. And the port side elevator? No, the 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 actual part that moves up and down. Yeah. Lost half of that. Yeah, but not the rudder, because that's the up bit. Yeah. It lost half of its rudder and its port elevator. Oh, okay. okay. I misread that then. Yeah, so it lost half of its and it's completely lost the port rudder. So the the back little wing. Mm. Left-hand side, gone. Mm. The tail was shredded, as well as large holes along the fuselage of the craft with internal pieces hanging out and flapping in the slipstream. Most of the bomber's machine guns were jammed, likely due to the loss of onboard systems, and they only had, and the only guns remaining were the two in the top turret and one of the forward-facing nose guns. Brown was also wounded and blacked out due to pain and blood loss. This Sorry, caused was that Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, right? This caused the bomber to invert and spiral towards the ground. This action made the German fighters back off, thinking the plane was crashing. Brown would regain consciousness and wrangle the bomber back under control, but at this point, they were low and only about a thousand feet above the ground and not able to climb any higher. Wounded on board, as I said, Brown was hit in the right shoulder. What was the Russian fellow's name again? Yaslenko. Yelisanko. Yelisanko was critically wounded in the leg by shrapnel. Blackford's feet were frozen due to heating wires in his uniform being shorted out, which I didn't know was a thing. Apparently, Mm. their Mm. uniforms were heated. Mm -hmm. Oh, that'd be- Oh, they would have had to be, yeah. Peach out, Petch out, had been hit in the eye by a cannon shell. Oh. And Eckenrod, Eckenrod, Eckenrod? Eckenrod. Eckenrod, in the tail gun, the only death- of the crew, he was decapitated by a direct hit from a cannon shell. Oh. Mm. Oh. Mm-hmm. First aid was complicated by the morphine surrettes freezing. Oh, no. 
The thought of bailing out was also considered, but Yelisenko wouldn't wouldn't be able to make a safe landing with his injury. So Mm. the crew decided to try and limp the bomber home. Brown had inadvertently flown close to a German airfield and sitting in his Messerschmitt BF-109 was German ace Franz Stigler. Franz. Franz? What did I say? France. You said France. It would be Franz. Franz, yes. Franz Stigler. He was getting his fighter rearmed and refueled when the crippled ye old pub was spotted. Even with a 50 caliber round lodged in the fighter's radiator, he took off in pursuit of the bomber. So, yeah, he had copped around and yeah. obviously with risk of engine overheating, he took off anyway. As he closed in on the bomber, he could see through the openings in the aircraft frame the wounded and incapacitated crew. Instead of opening fire and claiming an easy kill, which he already had 27 victories to his name, he remembered the words of one of his commanding officers from his time in North Africa. If I ever see or hear you shooting at a man in a parachute, I will shoot you myself. Stigler, in later life, would comment, To me, it was just like they were in a parachute. I saw them and I couldn't shoot them down. You so, forget that you forget that these people are human. Right? Like you hear so many yeah. stories of all the death and destruction. It's nice to remember that they're all human. Yeah. Right? Like they're not some concept of war. They're no. people. And again, they were on both sides. Yeah. They were trained to think of the enemy as not human. Mm. Um, I don't know if you can speak to that, Sean. Mm. Being like not indoctrinated, but to have the mentality of when you go to war, you can't think of the enemy as human. Yeah, they teach that a lot. Um, you know, they, you talk about the, the enemy. You don't call them enemy. You call them combatants. Because if they're not a combatant, then they're not an enemy. Yeah. If they're a combatant, they're a combatant. So if it's it's just simply, are they an aggressor to you? If so, pew. Yeah. If they're not an aggressor at no stage, then if at any point they're not an aggressor, then they're not an aggressor. Yeah. It's a it's a matter of are they currently a, a capable combatant or are they not? It's it's really really like it's it's like both humanizing and also the opposite of humanizing. Mm. It's it's almost like it's humanizing until it's not. Yeah, well, that's what I mean, right? It's it's humanizing them by introducing the concept of non-combatant yeah. because it's treating them as a human, but at the same time, it's very, very, very. By that point, it's very um, uh, clinical. Mm. It's like there are these factors that make them a combatant. After that, they're not. You know, i.e., yeah. they're trying to fly their plane home. Mm. They're not a combatant. Yeah, and I think I mentioned earlier, Band of Brothers. There's an episode that kind of deals with it. One of the guys, um, he's scared. And he ends up shooting a German soldier and then goes to track him down and then finds that he had this flower pinned on his shirt. And it's like, oh, he's like one of the special guys. It's said to climb to the top of this mountain to retrieve this flower. And then that kind of, then the guy starts struggling with what he's what there to do. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm. so through mouthing words and hand gestures, Stigler would try multiple times to get the bomber and the crew to land at a German airfield and surrender. After failing, uh, he would try then to divert them towards sweet, neutral Sweden, where he knew the crew could receive medical treatment but would be incarcerated for the remainder of the war. Brown and the crew didn't understand what Stigler was trying to say, so instead flew on. Stigler, <laughs> Stigler what do you think the, that German's trying to tell us? Yeah. I don't know, just keep going. <laughs> well, it, it'd probably be very intense. You've got this German yeah. fighter like mm. flying next to yeah, you. Yeah, just hovering there. You're, yeah. You cannot... Maneuver or anything, you're, yeah. A sneeze is going to take this bomber down. Mm. 
Uh, so they would fly on. Stigler would then move his plane in close to the bombers, to the bombers' wing, so that the German anti-aircraft wouldn't fire upon, upon them. And he would then continue the flying formation with the B-17 until it crossed the coast and reached open water. So I was not obviously flying behind them would indicate that he was about to shoot shoot them yeah. down. So instead, he flew in close formation next to the wing. So then other German air defence wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't shoot for chance of shooting him down. Correct. Still unsure of Stigler's intentions, Brown ordered the top gunner to aim at the fighter, but not fire. Just to warn him off. Understanding the message, and happy the bomber was out of German airspace, the German pilot looked back at him, raised a glove hand in salute, and then swung his aircraft away, back towards the east. The old pub made the 400 kilometre trek across the North Sea and landed at RAF Seething, and at the post-flight debriefing, Brown told his commanding officers about the incident. He was told not to repeat this to anyone, fearing other damaged bombers would hold their fire at incoming fighters hoping to be rescued, Yeah, only to be shot down. Mm. And again, there was a quote, I don't know if you can see it there, Sean, mm-hmm. about saying, uh, about humanising, they can't let the image of what you say, there's yeah. another human. Yeah. Yeah. Brown commented, someone decided you can't be human and be flying a German cockpit. There you go. Yeah. Stigler also didn't mention the incident to his superiors, knowing that a German pilot who spared the enemy during combat would be court-martialed. This is not the end of our story, though. In 1980... Tell me they met each other. 1986, now-retired Lieutenant Colonel Brown asked, was asked to speak at a combat pilot reunion called Gathering of the Eagles. And he was asked if he had any memorable missions during the war. Pausing, he then recounted the tale of the BF-109 pilot who escorted him and saluted them, leaving Germany. Afterwards, Brown decided he would track down the unknown pilot. I thought for sure you were going to be like, and then and he was, was like, that was me. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> for four years, Brown searched records from the US Army Air Force, US Air Force and West German Air Force to no avail. Brown then wrote a letter to a Combat Pilot Association newsletter and a few months later received a letter from Stigler, who was now living in Canada. The two spoke on the phone and Stigler was able to describe the bomber's condition, the escort and the salute, which confirmed to Brown he was the German pilot. They were astonished to discover they were living less than 320 kilometres from each other for most of the entire time since the end of the war. As Stigler had settled in Vancouver and Brown was in Seattle, Washington. The two became close friends between 1990 and 2008, often visiting each other and sharing their story with other veteran flyers until, like I said, 2008, when both men died within months of each other. Wow. So they did meet and they did become very close friends. This man could have killed. <laughs> That's the, that would have been the American. Yeah, but I mean, the bomber could have shot him. Uh, yeah, true. True, true. A few legacy moments. In 1993, Stigler was presented the Star of Peace by the Combatants Federation of Europe in recognition of his actions. 2008, by request of Brown, the crew of Ye Old Pub were awarded the Silver Star Medal and Brown himself was awarded the Air Force Cross, which is the second highest decoration in the US Air Force. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, at his request. He requested the crew, the okay, other crew, award right. the Silver Star. I thought you were saying like, I think, um, I think we deserve a medal. 
he, no, um, he requested that his crew receive the medal. Yeah, and I get you now. Upon that, yep. he also Gall- yeah. Gallantry decorations are actually all all decorations that are individual individual in nature need to be. Yeah, it's a superior assessed, has to has to put them up. Yeah. That could be anybody. Like, mm. could be anything. I think we covered this. Yeah, we covered it a little while in ago medley, in we? the medley yeah. episode. Sean, are you? Do you happen to be connected to the speaker? No, you might be able to edit this in, but um. I want you to get you some. I want you to get something ready for us to listen to. 2014, Swedish. Oh he- no! So, yeah, okay. Swedish heavy metal band Sabaton wrote a song for their Heroes album titled "No Bullets Fly," based on these events. Right. Uh, We're not going to be able to put this in the episode. Okay, we can get ten seconds of that fading sure. out, can't we? Sure. Um. And lastly, in January 2019, a surviving B-17 at Ericsson Aircraft Collection was repainted as Ye Old Pub and is now flown in air shows and historic flight experiences. That's cool. And that is the story of compassion and mercy out of one of human history's darkest moments. World War II has so like stories like that that are just so heartwarming in the middle of awfulness. Yeah. Even World War One. Yeah. Yeah. In human Human's darkest moments, I guess yeah. the light shines brightest. But what type of bomber was it that was in that Wings Over Dallas thing last year? Was that a B-17? It could have been a B-17. Most likely. Yeah. I, I think it might have been a B-20 something. Anyway. Oh, the Wings. Wings the, Over Dallas. Wings over the crash. Dallas Air Show convision, uh, Collision. Yeah. Um, the destruction of the two aircraft immediately after colliding. Yeah, it was a B-17 and a Bell P-63. Mm. There you go. People have probably seen that B-17. Yeah, so, so there you go. That's the one yeah. that was... Mm. There's not that many left flying in the world, I don't believe. No, that was like most of the comments I saw were mm. like, oh, that's awful. And also that plane, geez. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, just a, a man, man's compassion. He said... There was another quote saying that he they were just like someone in a parachute. You know, yeah. they were out of the fight mm. just trying to get home. So. Yeah, they're not they're not gonna be going and bombing anyone. No. Like, yeah. But yeah, there's just I believe uh the bombing of Cologne had over a thousand aircraft involved, mm. like a thousand a thousand bombers. Which I can't imagine looking up now and seeing I think we covered this when we spoke about Pearl Harbor, the amount of planes in the air, like yeah. just it's unfathomable. When I see the roulettes, that's weird. And that's like, what, seven planes? It's like one little wing of a squadron. Yeah. yeah. Five? I believe it's five. Yeah, yeah, a thousand bombers Yeah, was conducted on Cologne, over Cologne, the night of the 30th and 31st of May, 1942. Op- codenamed, very poetically, Operation Millennium. So, yeah. Yes. Well, that's, that's our episode. You said it earlier. We got a Valentine special coming up next episode because we it do. is on- is, the no, day, the day before. Day after or day it's before? the 13th. Yeah, okay. Oh, is this um, No Bullets Fly? All right. Well, I guess I'll do the wrap-up over this. Wrap-up. Wrap us up, boy. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, at CheekyTalesPod. Uh, we will post some supplemental images of this episode so you can see what a plane looks like. <laughs> um you have been wonderful as an audience. You're very quiet, very respectful. No, you're breathtaking. Uh, that is Sean Turnock. That is John Savage. I'm Aaron Payne. 
We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night, Chiquitos. Fly safe. Ooh, that's good. Keep that. What? Permanently? <laughs> Fly safe. That's all you're ever saying. <laughs>